podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guest would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Aaron Michael. He is a partner at 1984 Ventures, a seed stage venture capital firm in San Francisco. He's a Harvard Business School and Harvard Kennedy School alum and sold his last company, Path Source, in 2017. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, I'm just going to shoot right from the hip here with what was your worst or your first business idea, if you're willing to share. Sure. When I got out of business school, I worked briefly in product management. And then I've always been a bit of a, a political junkie and I wanted to to do something that would get young people more involved in politics and sort of off the sidelines. So young people have been very excited back in 2008 and then it sort of dropped off. And so I started this thing called Fantasy Politics, Fantasy nice. Football for Politics, which what was a kind of ridiculous fun ride, but it, it was definitely not not successful. What it actually did is it got older people who, who were already spending two or three hours on CNN.com per day to spend more time on politics. Oh. It did not did not actually attract the people who we were trying to really, really trying to get uh, more involved. So that that was it was a very entertaining period, but it wasn't really a real business. Yeah, that reiterates one of the, the themes we've heard on the show uh, quite a few times is so, so sell to those who are already sold, at least at first. Yeah, admirable mission, but it seems like that'd be a, a tough tough slog to to uh, get people invested in. I love the name, though. It's just It tells you exactly what you're getting into. Let's dive in here. Aaron, you've got this amazing background, and we want to hear more about that. We'll save some time at the end of the podcast to talk about some of the more serious ideas or more successful ones that you've had. But this podcast is about a new business idea that you're going to share with our listeners. Tell us about the idea that you would like our listeners to run with. Sure. So staffing agencies today are an enormous business, right? I think it is over 140 companies just in the US with over $100 million in revenue. And that's the staffing industry. And the largest of these companies have uh, revenue in the 20 billion plus range. Yet all of these companies work as though they are in the 1980s. It's exactly the same as they were way back then. And so I would love to see a much more tech enabled, uh, tech forward staffing agency. And it, it would be both a better user experience for the workers, uh, a better experience for the companies that they're they're serving, and it would be so much more efficient because these agencies actually have physical offices that people are having to walk into to sign up for work, which is a weird thing to consider in 2020. It seems like you have a really clear idea of what some of the the things that they're doing that just haven't caught up to today's technology. So what are some other examples other than having to walk into a physical office? So these agencies have enormous tech deficits. In fact, three of the largest of the, the staffing agencies, let's see, Manpower, Robert Half, and Kelly Services were started literally in the 1940s, right? So 
the the best engineers in in the country do not want to go work for a company that was started in the 1940s. They have these huge tech deficits, which means that, you know, one, physical offices, two, not worker-centric, right? So if if you are a candidate, you, you go in, you sign up, and then you leave and you sit and you wait. And maybe somebody calls you and says, I've got this job for you, which, you know, is probably not necessarily an optimal job, but you sort of have to take it. Or you kind of twiddle your fingers and you never hear from these guys. And they have these enormous uh, databases of, of people that they're doing absolutely nothing with. Why is that? Why can't, well, why can't more be done with people who have expressed an interest in, in finding work? Why, why is it that you on one side you have, uh, I'm going to match people with a job, and on another side you've got learning and development? Why aren't these two one thing? And so I would love to see something where the education component, the development component is actually built in potentially on a unpaid, potentially on paid basis for all of these people who who are looking for work and looking for opportunity. It seems like we're edging toward that, uh, maybe not as intentionally. Platforms like LinkedIn Learning, and I'm thinking about Udemy and and Upwork, they're, they're all coming at it from different angles to try and talk about this problem. But you're very directly saying that education and hiring should be intertwined on one platform. That's right. So what you've seen is a movement towards uh, better and better waves of labor marketplaces, right? And that's, that's certainly a good thing. It is helpful for both companies and candidates. But at the same time, it is it's slightly different from temp work, right? So with, with, with temp work, what you're usually talking about is somebody who's going and taking a, a, a job for you know some temporary period of time, not project-based, which is something different, but I'm going to go and do clerical work at this company. I'm going to go and be an HR coordinator at this company for what might be the next six months or so. And the company has the right to hire me and, and pay a fee to a, a Deco or Randstad or whoever, you know, uh, made that connection happen. But that's not something where these companies are, are really getting the, the best people and where the workers are getting the best type of educational opportunity. Hey, would you like to sign up for uh, this free course? Would you like to sign up for this paid course? And, you know, that type of thing, to your point, could be done in connection with a Udemy. It could be done in connection with an edX, right? There's there's no reason why these things have to be I separate. want to cut in with just uh, something that I'm finding interesting right here. You know, what well, we can talk about your other projects at the end and more, but I think it's relevant to bring in here. I noticed, you know, PathSource was, there was something similar in, in that as well, like kind of people's career paths. And can you... Can you maybe give us a sense of like how those two projects overlap or one hands off to the other or just a sense of how those two kind of concepts might integrate? I've been relatively deep in this world for a while in the sense that with PathSource, we enable people to figure out what career they wanted to go into and show them the school educational path to get there, sold into K-12, a little bit of higher ed, moved into adult ed, expanded into B2C. We, we had a very deep partnership with, with the GED. So, you know, r- really sort of knew that space pretty well. There's just 
a lot of people across the US, and we really saw this in, in a deep way while we were working at PathSource, who don't know what they want to do or who are out of a job and looking, you know, desperately looking for work that's particularly true now post-COVID, right? I think the number that stands out to me for how big a problem this is, is I remember reading it was it costs about 30 grand for a company to hire someone in terms of like per employee, because there's there's a potential for turnover and education. And it's, it's a big investment that they have to make. And to me, a shockingly high number. So is, is that in line with the uh, carrot that you think is out there? The the high level takeaway is it's very expensive and it's painful when you lose an employee, right? You're, you're losing productivity in the short term. You're spending a ton of time trying to find the right new person, doing interviews and so on. And, and frankly, a big part of the, the value add of the current legacy players, the Randstads, the Adecos, the Manpowers, the Kelly Services in the staffing space it, it is sort of twofold. One, they have these, you know, very strong sales relationships with these companies, you know, with their customers, but also that they have these huge databases of people. And so when American Express is like, I need to have a hundred you know, a hundred people working in this call center. I need to have a hundred people doing X, Y, Z. I need that in, in a few days, these companies are actually able to, to deliver. And so, you know, part of the trick here is, is being able to figure out how do we, how do we scale this up quickly? I've got three questions for you and they're exactly what you just said to me. <laughs> I tried to, I was trying to think of how I could pair that back, but yeah, how would you answer those questions? How would you find the people? How would you scale it quickly? Uh, what would you say to that? First step in go, going down this road is, is to figure out what the unit economics look like. So uh, on the candidate side, on the worker side, there, I, I think you got to try a number of things. One, it's important to understand what your cost is going to look like if you're doing this through SEM. So if you're going on AdWords, if you're going on Facebook and acquiring candidates, you know, understand what that cost looks like. It's it's probably not ideal. You want to see if you can acquire them for free, but you need to know what that acquisition cost looks like on a paid basis. So that's one. Uh, two is, you know, there are just endless communities associated with different jobs, right? You you go on LinkedIn and, and, and there are just tons of LinkedIn groups. So reaching out through those types of communities matters a lot as well. And then, you know, this sort of goes back to the idea of education and development. If you're able to offer an education and development, you know, training program of, of some form or another, and it would normally be paid, but you can give them a significant discount on price or offer it for free in return for them re referring whatever it is, five of their friends, that's another way. My mind's going in a couple of different directions here. I'm just going to take off the, uh, the last thing you said with the education aspect of this. I wonder if there's some way to incentivize people to actually complete some of the training programs that you put in front of them. I think I've read that online courses have a 98% abandonment rate. And you would, if you are tying these platforms together of hiring and education, and you're able to monitor that, you could provide a a rebate of sort to uh, to either the company or to uh, the person who completes an education educational training program and tests highly, such that maybe you knock off some of the the fee that the company pays you. I'm trying to think of how you structure it, but there's something there. Maybe maybe you charge more. Something there associated with 
combining those aspects. That, that's right. And, and now on top of that, you don't even need to have necessarily a, a financial incentive to get people to have a higher likelihood to complete in terms of direct financial incentive because this is associated with getting a job that in and of itself creates the, the the financial incentive in a sense, right? If if you're completing more of these and that information is going directly to uh, a, a potential employer, you know, that that's very significant, right? That makes you as somebody who's going through that course much more likely to think twice before you abandon it. Fair enough. The other question that comes to mind is the chicken and, or the egg one where you're trying to figure out you need to get applicants on the platform, but applicants would want to see good companies on the other side of it in order to invest the time to to sign up and fill out their profile and everything associated with that. How do you think about, about that aspect? Do you picture getting the applicants before you make those connections with the enterprise companies or vice versa? I'd say the first thing that you need to do is test how much it's going to cost you to acquire an applicant. The, the next step after that is you start building and side by side with that, you start talking with prospective customers. And ideally what you want to be able to do is validate as quickly as possible that you're able to go acquire customers. You should be able to, if you're a, a compelling entrepreneur and thoughtful and articulate, should be able to go and talk to companies, help them see the vision of, hey, you're today paying huge amounts of money for for talent that you know may not be quite as good as as what you should be getting here's how i'm going to get you a, a higher level of, of talent and here's here's why we should work together you know let's let's do a paid pilot we expect to be able to roll this out to you by this date and you know i'd love to i'd love you to basically be a development partner we'll jointly iterate on on this until you get exactly you know what, what's going to make you happy as, as our first customer. And you do that with a couple of customers and, and get them on board as quickly as possible as well. So that's figuring out CAC for acquiring, uh, acquiring workers. It's figuring out CAC for acquiring customers. It's figuring out what that sales cycle is going to look like. It's figuring out, you know, what is, what are the key things that my customers are going to need as, as we start going down this road together? And so that's that process should all be done kind of in tandem. Yeah, that makes sense from the structure of, of the idea. In terms of the the value provided or the, the solution itself, hiring is is hard for people to do. It's hard to, to parse candidates as a human. How do you envision having a company or, or a platform like this being able to do a good job of evaluating candidates and matching them? So the good news here is that you're competing against companies that, that are basically just taking taking bodies and putting them in seats. So you don't have to be light years better. You just have to be better. Certainly, one over time, you want to move towards AI-based matching, right? And this is not it's hardly a new thing. There are just tons and tons of, of companies that, that are, are doing variations on this, but virtually none of them are doing it in staffing, which is a shocking thing. You know, there, there's just, it, it's all around general hiring as opposed to in, in the staffing space. Another thing that you can really move into as well is helping to figure out which groups of people 
may potentially work well together, right? So if you're, again, using the Amex example, if you're giving Amex uh, 100 people over the course of, of a week or two, and some of those people are going to end up working together potentially in, in a team, you know, once you're doing this at enough scale, you should be able to start working on algorithms to say, well, people with this set of characteristics tend to work better together than people with this set of characteristics. And so you can then start optimizing not just around hiring out the best individuals, but actually hiring out the best teams. Just going back to the uh, two-sided market question that Chris raised earlier, if listeners are interested, you know, you're listening to podcasts already, there's a podcast of the Indie Hackers podcast about key values, a website which allows people who are looking for companies to align their values with the companies they want to work for. But she does, I forget how she did it, but she does go into some detail on on that episode about how she went about solving this problem of, I want to, you know, get the companies on board and I also want to get the, get the employee, the potential employees on board. And how do you, what's the chicken and the egg on that one? I think they also maybe discuss it in another, there's another business which allows you to do like test interviews. It's mostly towards, uh, geared towards coders, but you can literally do these test interviews with like the big names like Google and stuff like that and do code interviews. And I think, I think that person had to solve a similar problem as well. We'll put that, see if we can find that link and put that in the show notes. So it's interesting. Today, if you're finding your work through a staffing agency, you, you probably will take whatever job uh, is coming to you. You're doing it not because you have a choice of a lot of jobs, but because you need you need a job, you need an income. And, and, and that's okay. At, at the same time, where this space should go and where I believe customers would want it to go is tours being able to to access uh, sort, sort of really high value of talent, right? And when you take a look at how that how temp work and that concept has changed, it's changed massively over the course of the last 10 years as you've gotten, as this, these concepts of gig and freelance work and project-based work have become much, much more popular. And a lot more talent has moved into that type of space. And so in order to attract that talent, what you're talking about, I think, becomes very relevant. Right? It, it, does this company sort of match my values? Is is this company I, I'd want to work for? Because the then the value prop to the candidate changes quite a bit. Right? It's not just hey, we're going to give you a job, any job. But if you want to to serve higher value talent and give companies access to that talent through a staffing model, you 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 do have to start thinking about those things. So I think that's spot on. Do you think there's opportunity for a, a headhunter type of acquisition strategy where you're you're able to find these really top performers at uh, maybe tech companies who are jaded and you poach them off. This is kind of nefarious in a way, but I, I know at least a couple of acquaintances who have been disenchanted with their tech job and would be looking for a company that's more aligned. And if you can somehow get in front of them before they get into another, get into the labor pool, then it seems like that could be a, a valuable strategy. I think you're exactly right that over time, there's a, you know, the, the, there's the potential for staffing agencies truly move through different types of, of candidates who, who, who they can offer a compelling value proposition to, you know, to the point down the road where they're able to, 
to siphon off good candidates from from tech companies and and offer them other opportunities. And, and you know that may not look like sort of traditional temp work. That may look more like you know offering different divisions that are more sort of freelance oriented. But I think that that could certainly be where where things end up over time. You know, and in, in the short term, I think there's just a hey, we're 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 sort of servicing the these these roles and these candidates who just need a job and man can we can we shift that up a level both get better candidates as well as take the candidates who who we're getting and give them better learning and development and then offer that value proposition to companies and say hey we're able to give you a uh, much better talent for a, potentially a premium price, or, or but or you offer the same price and really you know kill the competition. Speaking of competition, would you be concerned about any of these companies in adjacent areas who could expand? Um, again, I'm thinking about LinkedIn. They have a ton of data about the type of work people are doing. Udemy, what courses people are taking. Upwork, they already know they have all these freelancers who are looking for work. What do you think about that? The LinkedIn's and and Upworks and so on are, are are very good at what they do, but what they do is not not what a staffing agency does, right? It's not it's not temp work that can turn into a long term role. Upwork is you know freelance and, and, and gig, and LinkedIn is if you want a full time job. However, at the same time, there are to your point competitors who 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 are real competitors. Winolo is is a great example. They're sort of a, a generalist that's in this space. We at 1984 Ventures have actually backed a couple of of companies that are going after specific verticals. So Trusted Health is it's a great example that's going after nursing and healthcare. Toolbox is is also going after construction and these are terrific companies that that we've backed. But this is a huge space, right? There's when you're talking about, I, I think both Randstad and Adeco, at least as of a year or so ago, were doing 25 billion in revenue. There's just so much fat to eat into there. It is, it, it is very, very doable to see multiple multi-billion-dollar companies grow up in this space. So I'd like to address this question as we approach the end here, and maybe it'll help us kind of move address the action step issue a little bit as well. So we. Part of the show is we like to give our our listeners some action steps that they can take to get this started. And you're actually, I, I believe, at this point, formally the person, the first one of our guests that's a VC. You know, officially, we have other people who do some investing, but you're working for a VC firm. So, just from your specific perspective, seeing people just start companies in general and and how they make it through the process, do you see any patterns on what works? What have people done before they get to your your door that makes you excited about? investing in them. Any thoughts that you can give to listeners on, and, and you could use this as an example of how you would apply things to this particular idea to kind of get it to the point where a VC would say, hey, let's go for this. Yeah. So we look for big teams attacking big markets, terrific teams attacking big markets, and particularly with, with software. So the things that get us really excited are when we see a team moving really fast and and figuring out how to how to wrestle each of the the sort of key variables in their business down to the ground as quickly as possible. Really understanding here are 
the the four things that have to go right for this business to succeed. How can I validate that each of those four things are are, are correct as quickly as possible? And so in this case, I think that is understanding uh, how much it's going to cost you to acquire a candidate and understanding how much it's going to cost you to acquire a customer and what that customer is going to want, as well as uh, understanding what's their engagement, what does churn look like, those types of pieces. You mentioned about having a like a really great team. And that's another thing that we haven't got to address a lot on the, the program so far, but just like how people build great teams. We have tended to in the past lean towards, okay, you're starting something yourself, you know, and you're just going to, it's going to be like a solopreneur kind of project. If you're trying to put a good team together, any thoughts on, on how you've seen some of that stuff work, team building? At the end of the day, you usually have one person who who ha- has an idea or you've got two people who bounce things around and come up with it together. And, and ideally, if it's two people bouncing stuff around and coming up with it together, one, one of those pers- people is somebody who knows the industry really well. And one of those people is maybe a terrific engineer from outside the industry who, who's able to bring great technical talent into it. You know, we've seen that combination work particularly well. But w- if you're a non-technical co-founder, starting a business as an entrepreneur, just always selling. And so part of your job, and it's arguably one of the hardest parts of of starting a company is to go out and find a phenomenal technical co-founder who, who is probably in some terrific job somewhere, pitch him on your idea and get him to leave that terrific job, take no salary and come work with you to kill this industry and build something even better. But it's possible, you know, like I have a friend, he started at a startup, but he was out of college. So, you know, he just wanted that experience. He, he wasn't set in a great job necessarily, went, worked for a startup. The startup did well, got acquired by Google. Then he was working for Google and now he had a job at Google. And it's like, oh yeah, like some people call it like the golden handcuffs, right? Of, of Google, you, you know, you're kind of working there, you get your free lunch and, you know, and the toys to run around and, you know, whatever, all of the perks. And so, you know, but a year ago, he decided to to leave because he, he was excited about the prospect of starting a company. And I think that that's probably the point you've got to sell to that person is you've got to find the person that they're not fulfilled in the job. You know, it's not about the money at this point, or, you know, they want, a bigger payday. They want something like really big and impactful and uh, they're ready to take a leap. It's not easy, but they almost, I can imagine almost that person wanting you to sell them on it. They want you to be their kind of like devil's advocate on their shoulder. Come on, man, let's, let's push you out of this, you know, and, and they might actually appreciate that from a good salesperson selling them on a good idea. Yeah, no, that is exactly right. Well, we're coming up on time here, Aaron. Thank you so much for the conversation so far. We covered a lot of ground. I think it's been really interesting seeing how you think about this idea and hearing uh, the outline of the action steps that that you had mentioned and some of the other considerations that a listener uh, needs to think about if they were to get this started. What's one thing to put a pin on it? What's one thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? Build a product that is both customer-centric, but is also worker-centric, that is candidate-centric, that gives them a much better experience than what you're currently seeing from the legacy players in the space. And if you do that, you'll be 
a large step towards building a terrific company. To the listener who has heard Aaron's idea here and wants to take action, do so. Follow through on the steps that we've outlined. Flesh out what a customer acquisition cost would be, a candidate acquisition cost as well, and email in. Tell us what you've done at update at runwithit.fm. One person who responds will earn a free mentoring session from Aaron and potentially a uh, the ability to pitch 1984 Ventures on this idea and, and just get some ongoing mentorship here. Aaron, where can people go to learn more about you? Go to the 1984.vc website. You can follow me on uh, on LinkedIn or I also have a YouTube channel that we just launched that, that goes into depth with a number of sort of bite-sized startup videos on everything from virality to PR to thinking about starting your company and what's involved in, in deciding on what idea to pursue, all of those. So if you go on uh, YouTube and search Aaron Michael Startups, come right up. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure, Aaron. Looking forward to hearing from listeners on uh, on an update for what they've done and connecting back with you in the future. Thanks so much for having me. Now, it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.